It's 2013 and I am 41 years old. I'm a professional rock musician, but right now it's 10.30 a.m. and I'm on the operating table at the Fertility Center, getting my insides gouged out by Dr. Yang. As I stare up at the ceiling, which is lit with tiny sparkles like a relaxing solar system, Dr. Yang pumps and sucks at my insides. I gasp as silently as I can, squeezing the blood out of my own fingers with my right hand to withstand the pain. When the torture's finally over, they've gotten six eggs. I spend 20 minutes recovering in a vinyl lounge chair, down a couple ibuprofen, and head to my studio out in Brooklyn, where I spend three hours working on the edit of a new song. <laughs> Songwriting is like making a baby too, bringing something to life that never existed before. It's why I love music so much. Welcome to IVFU, a podcast about the pain, joy, angst, and love of trying to make a family the new fashion way. I'm your host, Sam Shaber, and that was me you just heard performing a story about one of my many egg extractions. Ugh, I can't even think about it. But it's also a story about how much music and making music has helped me through this painful time. Today, you'll meet songwriter Kyler England, who knows a lot about the power of music to heal, especially as her struggle to have a second child was so tough, it tested even her proper Southern girl etiquette. I'm in love with you. Yeah. Are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? Oh, it's called IVFU. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, you can say fuck all you want. <laughs> Which I love when you told me your podcast is called IVFU. <laughs> <laughs> so I am speaking with my very good friend, Kyler, who I'm so, first of all, just happy to see you here oh, in your too. house and eating your incredible veggie chili and drinking this delicious wine. Mm. Now, so I, so one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is I've, I have had a miscarriage, but it was sort of a wimpy one. <laughs> um, my numbers like, like were terrible. It, well, they called it at seven weeks, but only because they kind of had to let it go that long before they could call it quits. Right. Because I was on all the meds. It was all part of the IVF. So I was on all the meds and I was officially pregnant, but the numbers were terrible. They weren't doubling. They were creeping along. So, I mean, yes, it was a real miscarriage, but it wasn't a real yeah. miscarriage, which I know. I mean, they're all real they're, well, all, they're all real and they're all I mean as I went on to find out you know they're all different as well you know so okay the, uh, what's that Rod Stewart song the first cut is the deepest like the, <laughs> the first miscarriage was the hardest for me I'm sure Rod Stewart has never expected that song yeah, to come back around totally. to miscarriages <laughs> and so I just want to start kind of at the very beginning you and I are both singer-songwriters. That's right. We have known each other for many years. Oh, my goodness. I think you lived in New York when I met you, but we may not have okay. met in New York. Then it was probably around the year 2000. Yeah. In the year 2000. <laughs> oh, my God. Sam and Kyler will meet and be friends for 19 years. That's horrifying, but wonderful. Um, so, which is, it's, and it's nice to talk to you also because we come from a similar financial situation. There's a lot of artists that do wind up doing IVF and fertility treatments because 
we have to take longer to get our careers yep, on delay. track. We delay. We don't always have the money, all that kind of stuff. But we still want to have families. Yeah. So we got to figure it out. Um, so just to begin, I would love to know, did you always want to be a mom? Was that something that came later? I know you have a twin sister. Yeah, did yeah. that figure in at all? Or So it's funny. I, I actually, when I was younger, I, I wasn't that interested in being a mom. I mean, I loved my mom and I loved my brother and sister and my dad and the family. Um, but I, I just, I, I wasn't very maternal as a kid or as a you know teenager, I babysat, but I, I just, I just wasn't super into the idea, but I also didn't think that I didn't want kids. I just thought like, right. I don't have to decide right now. So let's just, you know, let's just leave that door open. It's like when it happens, it happens. No problem. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so in my in my 20s, my early 20s, I was um, lucky enough to meet my husband, who's amazing. We both are musicians. We met in music school um, at Berkeley College of Music. And he's a producer. He's a, a mix engineer. Say. Oh, mix actually. engineer. He does Sorry. produce as well, but okay. mix, mixing is his main gig. And, um, you know, I used to tour a lot like you. And so I was gone half the year. And, you know, that's just not compatible unless you have a million dollars and a nanny or two and a bus and all that to go right. with you. And, if you're um, Beyonce, it's no problem. But exactly. If you're Sam and Kyler, slightly more complicated. Yeah, yeah. Much, much more complicated. <laughs> and so um, I just, I kept telling Richard, I was like, yeah, in five years, we can have kids in five years. But I kept telling him five years. <laughs> he still <laughs> gives me crap about that. So yeah, I kept saying five years, five years. And, um, you know, suddenly it was my early thirties and I was like, oh, I don't know how much longer I can keep saying five years and things were going really well in my career. I joined a band out of called the rescues, called the rescues. Yeah. I never planned to be in a band. And suddenly I was in a band and things started happening for us. And I signed a record deal when I was 31, I think it is, which is also wow. kind of late. That's, yeah. With the major label, it's kind of unheard of at that age. But, um, so, you know, I really had to focus on my career then and, um, right around that time is when my identical twin sister had her first son. But, um, so like I said, I, I never knew for sure if I wanted to have kids and I always left the door open and I was like, I, I'll decide later. You know, I can just decide later when I held my nephew instant. It's like, like I felt that thing that other women always talked about and I never really got, I was like, what are they talking about? It's it's like my my hormones and all my maternal instincts just it's like a switch got flipped immediately. Yeah. And I think it's because biologically he's my son too. Like genetically, <gasps> that's right. He's half me because oh we're God. identical. And so it's like I think it must have been the pheromones. Like my body smelled this baby, <laughs> and my body was like, oh my God, that's my baby. That's my. Baby. <gasps> but yeah, it was an amazing moment. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I know I want to do this. Um, but it was you know, several years later before I felt like it was the right time because I was touring with my band and then our band went through a bad phase and, and we parted ways with our label and, and we kind of didn't like each other for a while. And mm -hmm. I needed to make um, a solo record after that to just kind of prove to myself I could. And like, I had a lot to say. I toured on that record. Richard went with me. We toured together, which was wonderful. Oh, wow. And then I came home and I, when we started trying, I had just turned 36. Okay. Thing, it was astounding to us. We actually did get pregnant on our first try. And um, I remember taking that pregnancy test and just like sh shaking because I was like, what have we done? Like, <laughs> cause we were like, let's just start trying. I figured it would take a while, you know, you could, yeah. and I'd have time to wrap my head around it. 
And so the pregnancy went well, everything went smooth. And, and, you know, our daughter is now six. Yeah. Um, and so that was an incredible time in our lives. And, um, you know, we went through all the normal newborn sleep deprivation and, and fun toddler stuff. And around the time that, um, she was 20 months we started trying for number two. Okay. So 20 months. So you're, you were 36 when she was born. I was 38 when okay. we started trying again. Gotcha. So we got pregnant again within a couple months. Wow. Um, we, we, we thought everything would go just like the, the previous pregnancy. We just didn't think about it. And, um, uh, we saw the heartbeat at eight weeks, all was going well. And, um, I, I remember, vividly there was a night we were out with a, a friend visiting from nashville he's in the music business and we were having drinks i wasn't feeling super great and we came home and i had started spotting and i called the advice line um, with kaiser and and you know they basically said you know that if you're having a miscarriage there's nothing we can do yeah so you just have to you know wait and see and um later that night uh was just like a horrifying like i almost passed out multiple oh my times and it, it was really scary because you, I from was, what were you so i was i was bleeding a lot and oh. like is, are we getting graphic on we this? Can get as graphic as you want, as, as graphic as you're comfortable okay, getting. So at this point in my life, my TMI meter is like so <laughs> insensitive. Like there's nothing that grosses me out anymore. This whole podcast has no TMI meter. So okay, good because I just feel like it's so helpful to hear this yeah. kind of stuff. There's so many things that are scary for us because you know, we feel alone because we haven't heard that these things might happen and, and then we're afraid to talk about them and we just got to talk about this stuff more often. Yeah. I was, so I was 10 weeks when it started happening. Okay. And so I was starting to pass out. I don't know if it was from being freaked out. I don't, I'm not sensitive to blood usually, but yeah. um, I think it was more like I was losing a lot of blood and it was, it was scary. And I was well, in the probably, shower. Uh huh. I got in the shower to try to contain, cause it was just going everywhere. And, um, it was, it was so scary. I'm like getting like, <laughs> oh, I know. I don't, I, about hate, it. I don't want to take you to that yeah. place. If and, and we went to the ER. Did you have a sense short. of what was having happening? And I, I knew mean, we were having, at that point I knew it was done. You yeah. Know, that the pregnancy was done and wow. that this baby was not to be. And we rushed to the ER and, you know, put the garbage bag down on the seat in the car. <gasps> oh Cause gosh. I was just, you know, and, uh, so I just, I spent, you know, half the night in the ER and, and, you know, they, they have you do different tests and you have to like get up and like pee in the cup. And like, I was like almost about to pass out on the toilet and like they had to call in a special ultrasound as ultrasound technician in the middle of the night to come check me out. And meanwhile, I'm like shivering. I was like in shock, I guess. Um, I was so cold and they put all those like heat blankets on me and like, and I, I feel like I'm sitting in a puddle the whole time because it's just still just, I was like, am I hemorrhaging? Am I going to, die tonight like yeah. and so on top of like the you know the sadness of knowing that was over I was also scared I was like oh my I god was what's happening say, you have, yeah were you in pain or was it yeah, yeah it was immense pain like right? imagine you know period cramps turned up to you know not 11 I mean labor is 11 yeah but like period cramps it, it basically felt like a mini labor because that's what's wow. happening your uterus is yeah. contracting and pushing everything out afterwards it took me a long time to recover the just physical recovery and there was like the emotional recovery but then there was the emotional recovery because of the crazy physical experience yeah because it was just horrifying right um in addition to the loss you know yeah I mean I was terrified I was terrified of having a miscarriage like that again like both terrified of 
the loss and going through that physical experience again. Cause I just assumed it would be the same every time. Um, it was just, it was traumatizing. It was so traumatizing. Yeah. yeah, I would think so. Absolutely. I mean, oh. did it, did it traumatize you enough to think maybe we should just have the, our one child and not have another child? No, I, I was, I was set on continuing to try and that it would be worth it, you know? And, um, so we, we, we tried again, we got pregnant again, but the second one, I think I made it only to six weeks. There was no heartbeat at the six week, uh, as I remember how we found out, you know, I could have done a DNC at this point, but it's, it's expensive. And I thought like, well, that sounds dramatic too. So I guess I'm just going to you know wait and see what happens. And so that's the other thing, like you, you know, you find out that your baby is no longer alive and then you have to wait, you know, to pass a tissue and it can take days. I, th- I, I think I remember taking like three or more days four more days after that that it's just so traumatic to me is you've already it's already ended but you're still walking around knowing it's like the worst limbo you could be in and I was at a I was at a party a a kid's birthday party in the neighborhood when I started to feel the the uterine contractions where I was like I think I need to get home Uh, oh my gosh (laughs) and um that one because it was you know a couple weeks earlier um in the in the development it wasn't as crazy like it was it was like a super heavy period Uh, I didn't feel like I was passing out I didn't feel like I was hemorrhaging I wasn't scared Um, and uh, it wasn't pleasant but I was fine and so a DNC is not covered by insurance or it wasn't covered by your insurance or it is what what insurance um, I'm just curious what insurance you guys have with with Kaiser you know we're both self-employed so we buy our own plan but I, a friend had warned me that who was also with Kaiser, like she had to like fight them and it, she paid like, you know, $1,500 and it was, you know, that's like another trauma on top of all of it. Like oh, absolutely. I to mean, deal with that in the aftermath and, you know, it's hard enough going through all of this, but when you don't have, you know, a normal job that gives you healthcare yeah. in this country, you make a lot of decisions that maybe other people don't have to make. That said, plenty of people with normal jobs also don't have fertility coverage. Like right. you can't be guaranteed oh, I think that most people don't. Most probably most people don't. Yeah. So it's it's to me it's like the ultimate crime in this country that this is not. I mean, yeah. Viagra is covered. I know. Okay, so now, but you still did you have emotional trauma still? Like, oh my god, not again? Or I mean, were you he, relieved that it wasn't as bad as the first time? So yes, I was super relieved that physically it wasn't as scary, um, and I felt defeated and like maybe there's something wrong, you know. And so we went to my OB and he did some tests. He did kind of like the easiest round of of tests that. Because normally you wouldn't get a bunch of hormonal tests for looking for if anything is wrong until after the third miscarriage. Usually they say after three, there might be a problem and they don't, you know, insurance doesn't want to pay for testing before that. But he was really cool. And he did some like some of the easiest blood tests like thyroid and and everything came back clear. And um, and so, you know, we we tried again. So I waited a few months and then we got pregnant again within a few months, two or three months. So of you're trying. probably 39 at this point Still, getting or, there like I, I keep yeah. asking you the numbers I forget yeah. right around there I forget Something. the exact for some reason map. 40 is this line in my mind when we get you to 40 that's oh, totally yeah yeah that was a big <laughs> that was a big moment that yeah. was a hard moment yeah so yeah we got pregnant again it's all a blur now because there were so many yeah. and I forget how that one ended it was it was not traumatic physically like the first one I didn't have to go to the ER or like anything like that but I do remember feeling like I think something's wrong 
it's interesting. So because I have a twin sister, identical twin sister, there was a moment where we were like, well, should we see if her eggs are okay? Like, you know, Oh yeah. and she was willing actually to, to be donate. a donor. Like wow. it was amazing. We went through the whole conversation and we're like, let's just get your AMH tested. Now what is AMH? AMH stands for anti-Mullerian hormone. Okay. It seems to predict low egg reserve. Mine was really low. It was 0.17. And I think, uh, like they want you to have like like one basically, and so hers was much higher than mine. Hers was point huh. eight, um, huh. so it was still under the one that the doctor would have wanted it to be for her to be an egg donor. But it was much higher than mine. And so after the third miscarriage and getting that information, I remember that day, and I remember talking to Richard about it, and we just like quit for the day, and we. And we just did some, we went into self-care mode. We got like really big frappuccinos and we, <laughs> cause I felt, I felt like someone was sitting on my chest, you yeah. know, it was like, oh, gosh. and we went down to, um, to the beach and we walked and, um, and I also cried my eyes out. Were you just, crying because you were like, why me? Why do I have to deal with this? That was definitely part of it. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely like, there's a certain amount of like pity party that you feel. Yeah. Um, because well-deserved, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Because, and it, it's hard because as you know, um, it's in your face. You can't escape it because people are getting pregnant all the time. There's, you know, lots of billions of people on this planet and everywhere you go, there are either pregnant ladies or babies. And, right. um, often it's your friends and, um, you know, for me, already having one child, I was taking her to preschool and a lot of my mom friends at preschool who I couldn't avoid were pregnant with number two or oh number three. Gosh, yeah. And so already being in the mommy world, cause you're around people with babies all the time yeah. and people getting pregnant. And so for each of my miscarriages, a close friend had gotten pregnant right around the same time and they went on to have those babies. Oh gosh. And I lost mine, Right. you know? And so when they would have their babies in my mind, I'd be like, okay, I would, this is that was my due date. I would have had my baby around that time. And I still can like look back and like, okay, so that mom's kid is now like three. I could have a three-year-old right now instead oh, of a 14 you're always month doing old. The math. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's so interesting. It's a different kind of hell. <laughs> it, it, I, yeah. Well, cause you know, I was always at zero. So I was looking at the people who were at one and in my darker moments I was like what the hell do you care you already have a kid like at the end of your rainbow I know a but of course and I totally understand it that. doesn't occur to me that you uh, you know having a second kid is a hundred percent part of your plan and you're surrounded yeah. by people who are just happily having that second kid and doing yeah. the mommy thing when you're struggling and to for so realize many people, your second so momminess yeah that yeah it's, whereas um, for me I I quite often and purposefully did surround myself with people that don't have kids. Right. Because then I don't have to think about it. Exactly. And I love my friends that don't have kids. I'm not only friends with them because they don't have <laughs> kids, but you know, it was like, these are the people that I can hang with right now. Tomorrow I'll see my friends that have kids, right. but today I can, but yeah, when you already have a child, you can't, you can't isolate yeah. yourself from that. Yeah. Totally. And then do you think when yeah. you were pregnant with your first child, that you had friends that were struggling to get pregnant? Probably. And yeah. I had no idea. You wouldn't know. I yeah. had no clue because I just, I, yeah, you just don't, you know. don't know. And I feel like 
maybe it's just because I'm in it now, but I feel like people are talking about it so much more now than they were even five years ago. Oh, absolutely. And then in that sense, like, is there a support group for people that are on their second child or third child or fourth child? There are. Yeah. And I I did, you know, a bunch of research and there are support groups specifically for, I think it's called secondary infertility, which I I think that's a new term. I didn't come across it when I was in it. I, yeah, there are support groups for it, but that's for whatever reason, like that's not my style. One of my strategies was talk to people I know and and yeah. talk one on one with like close friends and so to reach out to every friend that I knew who'd been through like we talked and then um I have a friend who actually she's a carrier for a chromosomal issue and oh. so um she miscarried a lot because there's like a high rate um anyway so she did IVF and funnily enough she actually she was amazing she was such an open book she inspired me so much to also want to be an open book for other women and share what I learned. And she also shared some of her leftover hormones with me because oh, <laughs> they're expensive. You know, <sighs> that's the other thing you get pissed off about, right? You get to have the pity party over like, well, you know, most people get to ha- get pregnant for free yeah, and we have to spend all this money. Like why me? Like, why do I have to, but then, you know, and then on the other side, you're like, well, how better could you spend your money in life? Like, right. To like add a human being to your family. Like yeah. there's no better money spent on the planet, in my opinion. Do you have a father? I mean, any type of father? Then you're gonna wanna hear a new series called Tell Me About Your Father. It's all about father figures, daddy issues, and dismantling the paternal mystique. Tell Me About Your Father aims to unpack all facets of the father, the loving, the ambivalent, the supportive, the irresponsible, the wealthy, the living, the dead. These are the fathers who built us up and, well, let us down. It's free therapy, but funnier and just as deep. Tell Me About Your Father Season 1 is available now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Yeah, so we decided to do IVF and kind of readjusting to that new reality. And we got a referral to, um, Kaiser has a reproductive endocrinology department and we got an appointment with, um, Dr. Jabara, who he said, you know, you can try IVF, which, you know, the, the main reason IVF would be helpful for you guys is that we can test the embryos. We can, you know, at day five, pull out some cells, test them to see if they're chromosomally typical, if they're healthy, um, before we do a transfer. And you know, then we can control that. We can control right. that part of and it. And avoid the, potentially avoid this whole problem. Potentially avoid yeah. the, the miscarriage. And so that felt like a silver bullet, right? Like that felt like, well, oh my gosh, like we've been having these miscarriages. The, the timeline of when they were happening was textbook, you know, chromosomal issue case. So so we thought IVF would be a great option because IVF would actually help us with two things. It would save us from a miscarriage, we thought. Um, and we thought also it would save us time. And that was another thing our doctor was saying, like, you know, you're getting at this point, I guess I was like 39. Yeah. And uh, and he was like, you know, every time you take four months to get pregnant and then, you know, you carry it for two months or so before you miscarry, you're losing like half a year. Exactly. Oh, and then you wait a few months for your body to, recover. to regulate and for you to be ready to try again. So now you've lost like eight months or whatever. Right. And also in the meantime, I'm just wondering your career, what's happening with your career while this is happening? Oh God, or what, were you plotting along? Everything was, was not plotting along, but I mean, were you 
So I was, you know, I'd stopped touring once I had Leonie and um, I was focusing on songwriting and I'd been doing a lot of writing for film and TV. Were um, you processing any of, of your, you know, healing through songwriting or were your songs about other things? Yeah, I mean, I think at that time they were mostly about other things. Um, I wasn't writing for myself. I was writing oh, for right. other people's projects and for film and TV and for, I, I do collaborations with DJs. And so right. definitely not going to be processing, you know, writing about a miscarriage for <laughs> right. a dance tune. So, um, yeah, that it was just like an escape. The music was an escape at that time. So then my 40th birthday ah, came yes. around. At this I'm point. 40 at this okay, point. Okay. So we've crossed the line yeah, into crossed the big the line. four. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and there was a whole depression around that because I thought I'd have my family built, you know, by the time I was 40. And so that, I wasn't really, I didn't really care that much about turning 40. Otherwise, like yeah. just feeling it, it, I felt good about it otherwise. Cause it, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of psyched about my forties. Like I, I don't give as many fucks. I'm, you know, happy in my life and, yeah. um, it's a nice more thing comfortable about in my 40. skin yeah. and, um, all that. So, but that was really hard to face. Like I'm turning 40. I thought I'd have my family by now. I, at this point it's not, it's really uncertain. I don't know if we'll have a second child. Um, and so, um, you know, we started IVF and I got super healthy. Like I, I, I went through, um, before we started doing IVF, I, I went through like the whole, like no dairy, no caffeine, no alcohol, of course, like yeah. no processed sugars and mostly or processed carbs, flours and, and processed anything and no sugars. I mean, I just ate nothing but air Glu- basically did you say gluten <laughs> away too. Or? Oh yeah. I got rid of yeah. gluten and I was like mainly eating like quinoa and veggies yeah. and, and fruits and nuts and. Um, and I, I felt pretty good actually. Yeah. It takes like a lot of, um, dedication, but, but I felt good. And you know, um, we're sitting here eating chili, eating taco chips <laughs> eating and drinking, drinking wine, wine <laughs> and loving every minute and I feel of it. Very healthy. So I'm yeah, not worried about it. Go. I mean, it's healthy chili. It's delicious veggie chili. So <laughs> that's right. And so, um, you know, we started IVF and luckily like I was okay with giving myself the shots. And did you have a hard time giving yourself the shots? No, okay. I was mostly fine. There was yeah. one night when, so after you pushed the plunger in, you're supposed to count to five and we forgot to count to five. George was giving me the shot. And so he pushed in and he pulled out and this blood like shot oh out of my hip. Like <laughs> it was like an episode of South Park. It was, I mean, we were laughing and scrambling for a bandaid. We were like, ah! I'm like a fountain of blood, like shooting across the kitchen. Yeah. But mostly I was fine. Yeah. I got bruisey, but I was fine. So, so, okay. So you do IVF and you do all these hormones so that your body matures more follicles, right? Matures more eggs. Right. That's the whole reason you pump yourself full of hormones. So that part of it did not work for me. I did not mature more follicles. Is that back to that AMH thing? Probably. Probably. Yeah. yeah. So people kept telling me, don't focus on the numbers because all you need is one. You know, we were talking before we sat down about the movie Private Life. Oh, right, right. And that's what they keep saying in that movie. They keep saying, all you need is one. All you need is one. It is true. And it's, but it's amazing how hard it is to get one. Like, yes. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So after okay. the first so round. So the first cycle yeah. was a, a wash. And yeah. that was depressing because that's a lot of money down the drain. Yeah. But basically, my husband and I had sat down and we decided that we would try three cycles. That was our, our plan. Let's try three. And then. Was that based on finances or tolerance or. Kind of both. Yeah. But that felt like a reasonable amount yeah. of risk to take yeah um the second one we got got the call from dr jabara when he was so excited he said we have we have a girl embryo and it's healthy and i just was 
ecstatic. Like, and I just like, I was like, oh my God, a little sister for my daughter. Like it's just, and you know, having a sister growing up is just like the best. And so when we had our, our transfer, um, you know, you go home and you're like, you keep your legs up because you're afraid it's going to fall out yeah. and you, know, you eat all the right warming things and you wear slippers and <laughs> keep your feet warm and you yeah. do all these things because you think, oh, and you stay in bed for three days because you just, you know, um, well, see, I was told most of the time I was told not to stay in bed. I know. And then hear... one time I was told to stay in bed. So you just, you know, you try everything. I enjoy the staying in bed personally <laughs> and putting my it, feet up. You should and just stay in bed. Exactly. <laughs> do you do you. I know. Totally. I, I watched a lot of friends on Netflix. Oh, that's because you're supposed to laugh too. So I exactly. Yeah. I went yeah, home. Yeah. And, that's what I did. I went home and watched friends and laughed. And I, I had a grand old time. So I went in early to do the blood test on the 10th day after the transfer. And um, I told my, you know, they, they say like, you know, don't do a pregnancy test. Yeah. You're supposed to get the like actual numbers yeah, don't from do the it doctor. Home, but go to the doctor. Yeah. But you have to wait till yeah. like the afternoon or whatever. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't to do that. I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> 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 so I, I didn't tell my doctor I did this, but um, I came home and I peed on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> because I was not waiting. I mean, I was just like shaking and lightheaded already, like wanting to know. And so I came home and Richard was still asleep. Our daughter was still asleep. Beat on a stick. Like I'm about to faint, like waiting for the, you know, the three minutes or however many minutes it is for the pregnancy test. And sure enough, two pink lines and we were pregnant. Yeah. And I'm like absolutely out of my mind ecstatic. I just, I go into pregnancy mode. No, like, you know, feta, no wine, no, that kind of thing. And um, we went to our six week appointment and, you know, there was a heartbeat and everything was measuring good. I just start looking ahead and, and I, I keep up my meditation every day and, and my visualization every day. And I knew what I was going to say to her when I met her. I knew what that moment was going to be like um, and what I would say to her, like all the things that I just wanted to tell her, how much she was wanted, how much she was loved, how much we fought for her, you know, mm -hmm. all of that. And, and, you know, welcome to the Furch family, all of it. I, like I had, a, I had a whole speech for her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, we had our big 12 week ultrasound coming up, which is when they send you to the high tech ultrasound person to like, they measure, you know, femurs and organs and everything. Wow. Yeah. You find out the that's end usually... of the first trimester, 12 Basically, weeks. Basically. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and so we went into that and there was no heartbeat oh. and we were not expecting it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, I screamed bloody murder because I mean, in the exam room, in the exam mm -hmm. room. And I feel bad for the other women in the office because it was probably <laughs> really scary sounding. But like, I just I couldn't believe it after all that. And, you know, we really thought the IVF was a silver bullet and that and we knew that chromosomally that baby was healthy. And so we thought that we would have a baby. So um, because we had made it so far, we had named the baby already which of course made it that much harder. I mean, she was so real to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, it, doing the visualizations every day, I had been holding her in my arms and my mind for so long. Like it was, it was so incredibly painful. And, you know, we, we sent the tissues off to be analyzed just to like double confirm that it wasn't a chromosomal thing. And that came back normal. It, it, you know, that, that baby was chromosomally healthy and I just wow. wasn't prepared for that, you know? And I, yeah. and I also, because I knew it wasn't chromosomal, the weight of 
did I do something wrong this time was really unbearable. Yeah. You know, like I felt like, should I not have gone to the salon and like sat in there and like smelled chemicals from other people's getting oh, their, their hair so dyed? Hard. I know you, and th- like, you think of everything you've done. Yeah, Cause I, I just, I didn't get my hair dyed. I just got my hair cut, but I sat in the salon and there were people getting their hair dyed. Like, was that bad? It was this my fault. Did I eat the wrong thing? Did I, I'll never know. Like, that's one of the really hard things. I'll never know why that baby didn't happen. Um, and that tormented me for a really long time. And what would happen would be like, I would be tired from the day and I would fall asleep at, at bedtime. I would just watch Netflix and I would conk out, but I would wake up at like 2 a.m. and be awake for like four hours in like that deep, dark rabbit hole that you're in when you're in moments of despair in your life and questioning everything and reliving everything and Go, just going over, fine tooth combing everything, trying to figure out like, why? Why the fuck did this happen? Yeah. And um, those first couple of months were just terrible after that. And um, now were you, where were you turning to support? Obviously you have Richard. Were you going to therapy? Did you no, have? Yeah. I, I probably should have. Did you cocoon um, a bit? Or I definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely was feeling, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but um, there's a lot of feeling of isolation when you're going through infertility oh, yeah. stuff, which is why I reached out to the women I knew who'd been through it because I, I just felt so alone. I, I felt I felt like most of my friends didn't understand me. They wanted to be there for me, but they didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And I would often end up managing their feelings about what I was going through rather right. than getting the support that I need. You wind up comforting them because they're so upset about what's happening to you and you're like, they don't know what to say. I need the comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And you make it okay for them so they don't feel uncomfortable. But meanwhile you didn't get what you needed. Right. I retreated a bit and I isolated a bit. Did you still uh, meditate or did you stop everything right away? I abandoned that at that moment. (laughs) Pull out Um, the wine. Yeah. Take a big spoonful of gluten. Some wine. Yeah. Yeah. I ate whatever I want. I'm trying so I made it through October. And um, we kind of decided not to make any decisions until the new year. And I just like lived out the rest of that year in a funk. You know, I went to Thanksgiving with my family in a funk. And of course, like I look pregnant still because, you know, when you're, I'm, when I get pregnant, I, I gain weight quickly and my belly poofs out quickly. I like pop by six weeks. I look pregnant. Wow. I'm not one of those women that can make it to like 20 weeks and still have a flat belly. Um, I, I'll never understand that. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly tall women, but, um, yeah. So I mean, you know, none of my clothes fit and I'm depressed and I'm like, Ugh, I still look pregnant. And it, it was just, and I remember, okay. So this is what happened. I ran into you in the grocery store. In pavilions. Yes. Yeah. I remember we were online in pavilions, or maybe I ran into you like in the wine aisle, yes, which is very probably. possible, <laughs> and the liquor aisle. And um, I even, I remember what you were wearing. You were wearing this oh kind of gosh. sort of a hippie peasant blouse. Oh, I lived in that those. That was like loose fitting. For years. <laughs> well, and I remember, I think you said to me, or I deduced, you were saying that, you know, you had lost the baby and because also that was right after our final fail, because we oh. had done 10 embryo transfers and it fin- mm. the final fail was, it was July, 2016. Okay. So this would have been like September, right? Yeah. 2016. So we were sort of like, oh, how's yours going? How's yeah, yours going? Like and neither of us had miserable. any good news to share. <laughs> and I remember you said, you were saying, but the problem is I still look pregnant yeah. and people ask me, oh, how many weeks are you? Yeah. But, and I, and you either told me that's why you were wearing a looser fitting blouse or I 
did yeah. you that that's why but i went full stevie nicks to, yes it was very it was very stevie nicks <laughs> and it was it was sort of stevie nicks meets um kate hudson you had like a nice yeah. look going on there um but the thought of you know of course people if people think you're pregnant they don't yeah. think twice about saying oh how many weeks are you and yeah and sometimes you said you would just lie i think is that right or am i, I making probably, that up yeah you'd be like well, especially oh, people i you know if i didn't know them yeah like, like if you're online explain. at the grocery store totally People yeah, not, like, I it. never would have known having not, you know, with me, with my fake miscarriage, whatever we want to call it. I wouldn't have known that people still look pregnant after you have a miscarriage. Yeah, yeah. And for how long do you look pregnant? How long does it I take mean, for your body? It took to a kind few of... months to like for wow. my belly to go down and to lose. I, like I, my belly would get big quickly, but also I would just start getting a little chubbier in my arms and everywhere in my face, like everywhere would just get a little chubby. Um, you know, slowly build up. So it just, it took a couple months. And also I was not in any mode to like, you know, start exercising and like do the things you need to do to lose it. Yeah. And of course, you know, you're not breastfeeding or anything like, you know, that helps you lose the weight after, you know, you deliver a baby. So, um, so that was like insult to injury. Like I can't fit into any of my clothes mm. and I still look pregnant. And, and the thing about a miscarriage that's hard is that, um, you know, having experienced losing my mom, when I, a family member or a friend or a person dies, everybody knows, right? right? It's public information and people tell each other so that they know to support you. And they also know that you're not going to be yourself for a while. And they give you extra space and understanding and love and, um, you know, people rally around you. Well, when you have a miscarriage, not everybody knows. And so, and with the other earlier miscarriages, we hadn't told anybody for those. And so people don't know. They don't know what you're going through unless you go through the pain of reliving it when you tell them. Right. And so you choose not to tell some people. So you choose, you tell your closest friends because you care enough about your relationship. You want them to know why you're isolating. Um, and then like the wider circles, you don't tell them because it takes too much energy that you don't have to share in Germany where my husband is from. Apparently they just talk more openly about these things. Like they don't wow. wait till 12 weeks to announce, um, you know, if they miscarry, they tell people, you know, it's, it's not such a taboo. And so were you still counting on three IVFs? Well, so that was an important role yeah. in our discussion. After Christmas that year, we drove up to Monterey, um, me and Richard and our daughter, Lainey, who was I guess four at the time. And, um, and on the drive back when Lainey was napping, we started talking about it and we'd been kind of like a little bit avoiding. And, um, Richard just kept saying, you know, like we, at the outset, we decided to try three times and like both in terms of, um, you know, taking the risk and also like the financial aspect, like, you know, we have another try left in that thing that we set out to do. And so, he was really like, it's up to you. You know, if you want to try, if you feel like you can handle it, if you feel brave enough to take that, that chance, then like, I fully support that. If you don't want to try, I fully support that. He was amazing. You know, he said all the right things. I don't know <laughs> if there's like a book that husbands read at these moments, but I don't really know what made me decide other than I just wasn't, I, I wasn't ready to give up. I just really believed that we were meant to have more than one child. And like, I just, I loved having siblings so much growing up. And anyway, so what ended up happening is, um, I was a very poor responder. We got one egg. Wow. Which was really depressing after all that, uh, to have one chance. But in my head, I was like, we have one chance. 
you know, and, and my doctor was like, you know, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. But I was like, look, I've been through a lot and there's a time to grieve and there's a time to hope. Fuck it. Right now is the time to hope. <laughs> So I'm going to fucking hope as much as I can. Yeah. I'm, I'm swearing as much as possible now. <laughs> no, we it's can't. okay. You're good. <laughs> no, but I was, I was seriously, like, I really believe in that. Um, life is short in the moments of hope. Hold on to that, you know? And yeah. so that's what I did. I clung to that. And so we got one egg. It fertilized, became an embryo, made it to day three, made it to day five. Uh, you know, they took out a few cells. Um, it was the day before Valentine's Day. I, it was like 10 o'clock at night. I was asleep. I wake up to my phone ringing and it says, Dr. Jabara. And he was like, you're not going to believe this. He was like, you have a healthy male embryo. And like, I screamed so hard. Richard was out on the couch, like still awake, like watching probably Star Trek or something. I came running out and I told him and we were just like out of our minds. We couldn't believe it. We stayed up so late that night. It was the day before Valentine's Day. We oh didn't do gosh. anything on Valentine's Day. But the night before we got this amazing news, we stayed up so late getting drunk and like talking we're eating so much junk food and just like talking about how like oh my god i can't believe this is happening this is meant to be like we were meant to have a son this is why this is happening like this is it this has got to be it and we were just it was like we were you know it's like we've been dating for like two weeks yeah and we had one of those nights where you just stay up and you talk about life and everything and it was and it was amazing. And, and everything went right from there. Uh, we did the transfer. It implanted. I mean, like everything went right. And wow. now we have Elliot. He's 14 months old. Wow. And we're so, so lucky. And like, I think a lot about that, that decision we made to try again that last time and how that decision made the difference of a human being or not. Right. It's just like, it's wondrous to me. Like I, we could have decided not to try again and we would ha be a family of three and that would be beautiful to you. However, Elliot is like this incredible little guy and we're so, so lucky. And I just, I'll never not be thankful for all of it. I'll carry all, like the whole story with me my whole life. And one day I'll tell him, and Leonie knows, my daughter knows some of it already. And I want to make sure she knows, like, so she can equip herself for, you know. Freezer eggs when she's young. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. to know that, you know, I remember people saying, you know, after 35, your fertility drops off. And I was like, yeah, yeah. You just don't think it's going to happen to you. Right, totally. Or you just don't really think that much about You're it. You're like, but I'll be fine. Yeah. Statistics be damned. You yeah. just don't really worry about it They're that just much. numbers. But I'll, you know, I want her to know, like, yeah. you should maybe start trying by 30, you know, yeah. just to be safe or freeze your eggs or who knows what, when she's, you know, that age, what What's technology possible. will be. Right. Yeah. Now when you probably, you'll be able to like send a, a hair in from you and your partner, <laughs> mail it in somewhere and, and they'll, they'll make, make a, a baby. baby. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so I'm just wondering, did your feelings towards Leonie change as this was going on? Did you have moments, you know, here's this child that needs you yeah, and is alive and running around and probably having tantrums from time to time as kids do and yeah. not going to bed when they're supposed to and or having a great time or what did you ever have a moment of like resentment or any kind of change like here you are going through yeah. this horrendous experience with the miscarriages and I think the main thing is that I felt guilty because I felt like I didn't give her my best self a lot of the time mm -hmm. and I had to mourn feeling like like those are special years from like two to five you know they're I don't know sometimes I felt like I was cheating her you mm -hmm. know and 
you were trying to out make, a like you said, I'm trying to make this dream of a child happen while I have this child here, but also knowing she really wanted a sibling. Like she was asking for one and I wanted part of the heartbreak for me was that I couldn't make that happen for her. And so many of her friends had siblings and you know, why can't I have a brother or sister? Would really she ask those sister. That yeah. yeah. I mean, starting from a young age before she understood. Um, so that was a, another layer of, of painfulness about it but um and yet did you also find comfort in her i mean when you're grieving the loss of these pregnancies here is this wonderful child that you have of course she was like a little tighter sometimes yeah absolutely absolutely and she was like the best distraction ever i mean little kids are hilarious and silly and they have very urgent needs and 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 they're also little sociopaths and like you have to deal with them constantly (laughs) yeah so do you have any last this is now your turn is there any final words you have to share words of advice encouragement people in your shoes who maybe they have one or two kids and they they really want that next child as well or and I love I love this I love talking about this stuff because we have to pay it forward yeah because we can't pay it back so that's what the um, whole podcast is about I'm so really. glad you invited me to speak oh I'm I, so happy I really I really Plus, I haven't in seen this. you in a while so that I was know. a double bu- and the wine it's all yeah. it's all good I mean I think like one of my biggest takeaways um is to like when you're in the middle of all of it and it's really hard to don't be alone you know with it try not to isolate try to reach out because it feels like you're alone but it is amazing how many people go through this stuff yeah like you know of all the various different issues that can come up like I think it's like one in eight couples has a hard time, has some, some form of infertility. One in eight. Wow. That's a Including lot. Including miscarriages. Yeah. And, miscarriage yeah. to, you know, all different versions of fertility issues. So, um, there are a lot of us out there and we should be talking about it because there's no reason it should be taboo. There's no reason why we shouldn't have the information. We shouldn't have the support, you know, and, um, there should be no stigma attached to it. We shouldn't feel alone. And also if we talk about this stuff more one day, it's going to be covered by health insurance. Yes. You know, and if people want to hear your music, let's do a little plug at the end. Kyler England, KylerEngland.com. And so I made a whole EP of five songs about the journey that, um, I made it for me, but also to hopefully help other women going through whatever. It's wonderful. It can be applied to anything. Miscarriage does not appear. The word miscarriage does not appear in any song. (laughs) It's hard to rhyme with miscarriage. Yeah. It's It's more poetic. Sort of like the word shampoo. It's a little hard to kind of pull that off with a straight face. Though I do know someone who put that word in their song once. It didn't work. Johnny Mitchell did it. Oh, well, she can I do anything. I want to talk to you. I want to shampoo you. Okay. She gets away with everything. <laughs> yep. She's gotten some weird stuff into her songs. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for episode three of IVFU. Come back to us, episode four, where you'll meet Mary, who's donated her eggs not once, but three times, and candidly answers every question I'm dying to ask. With the first family, I met them, and I met the surrogate, and we all went to dinner, and I felt the baby kick. We have a picture of all of us together in San Diego. How did that feel? What was the emotion like? Oh, my God. felt like I was going on a first date. It was (laughs) like egg dating. Totally. (laughs) The IVFU podcast is produced by me, Sam Shaber, and Emmeline Summerton, and we'd love to hear from you. Please join our conversation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IVFU Podcast. 
For episode transcripts and to download our theme song, Freak in Love by Sam Shaber and The Happy Problem, visit IVFUPodcast.com. IVFU is distributed by Inside Voices Media. Our mixer is Allison Wilson with additional sound design by J.C. Swatek. Our live story segment was recorded in L.A. at the Rant and Rave Storytelling Series, produced by RogueMachineTheater.net. If listening to these stories helped you and you think they might help someone else, we'd love it if you could help keep it going by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also be a huge help in making Season 2 a reality by leaving us a tip of any size, whatever you can afford, on Venmo and PayPal.me at IVFU Podcast. Thank you, and thanks for listening. I'm happy we shared this time together, because remember, it's all about being a family. And I'm a-